0: At at University. University. My name is Emily Stiles. My name is Colby Rogers.
1: My name
2: is Camille. I'm William Paget. My name is Reese Charles Jove. My name is Deja Robinson.
0: My name is Grace
1: Michaels. Hi,
3: my name is Becca O'Reilly. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to the final Agape Project episode of the kind of quote-unquote season, uh, kind of before summer hiatus here. Um, and first. Uh, want to just introduce myself. My name is uh, Andy Reeves uh, and I'm the campus ministry coordinator here at Bellarmine. And uh, I just want to first start by saying thank you uh, to all of you who have been listening, um, to everyone who has uh, so uh, kindly and courageously shared uh, their stories and worldview uh, with us through their agape chats, um, and to our Pure ministers um, who have done just an amazing job collecting these stories and being such attentive listeners uh, to the members of our community. So like I said, we are about to go uh, kind of on summer vacation. The Agape Project is going to kind of go to sleep for the summer. We're going to bring it back uh, uh, in in August. Uh, but before we kind of closed out the Agape Project uh, for the 2020-2021 school year cycle, however you want to think about it, uh, because I realize we are in June, um, is we collected um, right around, give or take a few, 70 agape chats uh, just recorded um, to be used in the agape project. And um, as you know, if you've been listening, uh, we've only done about uh, or focused on about Uh, 16 maybe 17 stories so we wanted to make sure that before we uh, took off for the summer that we made sure to spotlight uh, the incredible stories of as many people as possible before we uh, took off until August. So uh, what follows is kind of just a compilation uh, of sorts of um, chats that the Peer Ministers um, and uh, some members of the campus ministry community um, have had with uh, members of the campus community, and uh, I hope you enjoy uh, hearing their stories and perspectives. First, we are going to hear from Emily Stiles who will tell us about how her roommate has been instrumental in her faith journey.
0: A person whose faith I admire is one, my roommate, actually. My roommate is actually a wonderful role model, role model for me. I did not grow up in a Christian home, but she did all her life. And so, like, watching how she goes through life and how he, she has gone through life and just those pillars of faith that she was given at birth just has inspired me to kind of keep up with my faith and keep growing in it.
3: Class of 2021 graduate Allie Klender uh, talks about how her vocation to be a nurse uh, is intertwined with her identity as a Christian. <laughs>
4: Um,
5: so I'm in nursing, so I'm, um, will be a nurse. So I think it definitely affects like my, um, what I'll be doing. Um, just like treating everyone well, and kind of like, honestly, it's a way to kind of like spread the word of God, like spread God, because like being able to be like, to help someone when they're at like their most vulnerable moment um and also just like you're dealing with people who um could be like their end the end of their life um and just like being able to be there with them give them hope give them comfort give them love um yeah I think that like that definitely I think that like that's another way where you know when you're younger you're like oh I don't know how I'm gonna spread the word of God but I think like being a nurse, um, I can definitely see how, like, that will come into play.
3: Annalie Cummings, a foreign language and international studies major, uh, talks about how her faith is expressed through her service to others.
6: How do you currently practice your spirituality, especially with, like, the whole, you know, COVID?
7: (laughs) Through service a lot, honestly. Um, I think that's one of the things where I feel like the most connected to is just by seeing what my actions can do and what other people's actions can do for me. Um, I still attend some, like, virtual Unitarian Universalist services now that I'm here. Um, I'm close with my, my family and we're able to have, like, those spiritual conversations, but I really just think through people and through actions,
6: is there like a defining moment in like your experience with service that like really made it stuck to you, or has it just been like a general process of having been raised it with that?
7: I think like one of my first things that I ever got involved in was this uh, food pantry in Indianapolis. It was called the Lord's Pantry. Uh, This man named Lucius Newsom started it, um, originally just the back of a food truck and a lot handing out food to people. And then he kept getting more donations. They were able to build this house and they were able to build this pantry in Indianapolis. So my family started volunteering there when I was in third grade, I think. And it was something that we stuck with it. And every time before we would serve the people who came in every Saturday, Um, There was always a speech before that said, you know, the people you are serving, you can look at their faces and you'll be able to see Jesus. And that's something that's always kind of stuck with me. And then it was something that we started as a family. And then my parents kind of trusted that we would choose our own things that we wanted to get involved in later on. But that was definitely the starting point.
3: Elena Tarullo talks about how her Catholic identity has developed over her life so far and where she still finds a strong connection to that identity?
4: Um. So I read a quote one time, I don't even know where it's from, but it was something about like at the core of every religion is like this very like pure good. And then as you get farther out, sometimes it gets a lot more muddled. And I think that pure good is really what I admire. It's like this... I think it's something, and this is just my opinion, but I think it's something a lot of, at least the Catholics I grew up with, um, didn't emulate, didn't show, and I never knew that was really what it was about. Like, for example, like we always say, uh, I tell my mom this all the time. Like, if we, if she's, you know, you know, we see some people on the street, maybe like asking for money or just like the homeless population, or sex workers, I'm like, those were the people Jesus would be hanging out with right now. Like, not us. It wouldn't be us. It would be them. And I think that's what I admire so much is just, I think it comes down to just the love and the giving and, like, kind of, like, what this whole thing is about is self-sacrifice and serving. And that, to me, is just something so beautiful and something I'm so about. And I wish it was just about that. You know, I wish that was... Um, I wish we spent every day in the Catholic Church, just figuring out how we can love others to the fullest extent. And sometimes I feel like, at least from my experience of it, that wasn't always the case. Yeah. Um, but just compassion and fully unconditional love and understanding is what I just admire so much. And just the tradition of that throughout the centuries of just being the people that when no one knows where to turn, you know. You're there, and that—that's what, what was always so beautiful to me. And sometimes we get away from that, and it's a shame.
5: How do you think that you emulate that, like pure goodness, that you see?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like I'm striving to do that every day, and I think I feel like I'm failing often. Um, I be like that. It's, it's hard. It's very hard. Um, sometimes you don't know how to help. But I think, above all, I try to always have this, like, and it's very hard, this, like, unconditional understanding. Like, no matter your situation, I think that we're so quick to judge. And I try to just not be that. If there's anyone that's not going to judge you, I try to be that person. Um, And also, you know, it's very difficult, especially when we get into the theme of, like, privilege and using your privilege to, like, genuinely help others. And I think sometimes that's just, like, a really difficult thing to know how to do. Um, I'm trying to get into nonprofit work and I'm, you know, just things like that. And I'm kind of at a loss because I never want to be in a position where I'm stepping on people's toes and in a position of leadership where I shouldn't be. Um, So it's been... It's been hard, but I think it starts with that unconditional understanding and empathy and love for others, because at the end of the day, like, you know, if I were in their shoes with their genetics and their story and their experiences, I'd probably be making the same decisions they would be making, and I would want that same kind of understanding.
3: Isha Khan talks about where she finds her passion to work in service of those on the margins and those who face oppression.
8: I don't know, I've always been really passionate since like a really young age. I don't even know, it's just like, I loved acting since a young age and everything like that. Like, I don't even know, it's just like, it's like this catharsis that you experience Mm -hmm. whenever you're on that stage, or not even on that stage, but it's like, when you're acting, for me, it's not really acting because it's like you're harnessing the emotions that you do have internally. And you're harnessing the real-life experiences that you've had, and you're translating that, you're transforming that into whatever character you're playing. So through acting, through learning about different narratives and different characters and the things that they've been through, you kind of, like, go through that journey with them. For example, Euphoria, this show. Love Euphoria to death. Like, literally, Zendaya? What a queen. Oh my god, I could not stop talking about her. When you see her acting as this... this teen who struggles with addiction and she struggles with all these things you don't like Zendia probably hasn't struggled with addiction right but she like she's heard those stories she's heard those narratives and similarly after hearing stories and hearing narratives and not going through that with them but learning from them uh, or like putting herself in in their shoes Yeah. yeah when you do that then you're like why is no one talking about this like this is so important right because stories ultimately shape lives like that's that's what matters. stories are the most evocative they're the most profound means of expression right and it's just like when you hear about different stories you like that's what hits you internally like as a human being right and it's just like that's what hits you at your core, your soul. so when you hear about refugees suffering and you hear about um people um that are going through displacement or that are, you know, experiencing genocide and like little kids in Yemen or Syria or like in the Middle East being plagued by these calamities. And you're hearing those stories and you're watching this on the news or whatever. It's just so many emotions that build up and like you can see it in their eyes. You can see the pain. And so when I look at that pain and I look at these kids that are suffering, I'm like, there's no way that you can't act. You know, there, you have to act. Acting uh, play on work but yes. yeah play on there's no way that uh, you can't not act um and so i, I always believe this complacency is the chief bar to the pursuit of happiness it's like one of the things i've taken away because if you could you could sit here and you could complain about all the things that are wrong in the world that does no good as an i don't know i wouldn't call myself an activist but as a person that cares and wants to see change rather than being dissatisfied I, that's where that, like, that passion comes from. That's where the um, energy comes from, because it's like, yeah, I could sit here and complain about how I got a bad grade on this one test, but what, does that, like, what good does that do if there's no action to support behind that, if that makes sense?
3: William Paget talks about times when his faith has been challenged.
2: A, a really big one was during my confirmation, my seventh grade year, And that was because that was like a little journey for me with my uncle who I wanted to get closer to. And he himself wasn't super into faith, but he did believe in a God. And so we had a lot of meaningful discussions about faith. And I've definitely become a more spiritual person. And I'm still to this day have many questions that I'm still searching for. And hopefully by one day I'll get my answers to. And then... A key life experience that shaped who I am was when my aunt died. We were really, really close, and I'll admit I was very depressed for, like, at least half a year when that happened, and because that really, that's another instance where I started to question who I am and just, like, is there really a God? Because if there is one, why do I have to, you know, experience something like that, which... You know, compared to other people, might not be as bad, but for me at the time, I was really young, so that was hard on me. And, I mean, it definitely helped me to, like, better accept, like, who I am and how to deal with situations like that in a healthy way instead of just shutting down. Like
3: Evan Sims talks about the background that he brings to his vocation to work in End of life care.
9: It started with Dr. Choi's class because uh, we had talked a lot about death care, mm-hmm. and it kind of that's what kind of opened me up to the subject of it. Because before that, I just I didn't really know that that was in even a field. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I then I ended up watching a documentary about it on Netflix called Endgame, and it presented a more human side of the story. Um, it's actual like case studies of people who are going through this dying process and had access to uh, the kind of death care that I would like to provide you know, the spiritual and emotional care. And before dying, obviously they interviewed them and they talked about how much easier it made the process and how, how much more purpose they had, they felt they had. So that was, that was like step two. Then I started listening to this podcast where this guy interviews philosophers and, and, um, like, you know, spiritual leaders, and he he interviewed a mortician who talked about the good death movement for a long time, I just listened to the whole podcast, I'm like, yep, I think this is it, I think this is what I want to do, and so I've just been researching it more, looking into options, and um, listening to more of the podcast, because in addition to the, the death care stuff, my philosophical view around death has changed, too.
0: Gotcha. So what kind of is your view of death? Like, um, what do you think? I mean, obviously like you've talked about like the physical changes and everything, but like um, as far as like the view of an afterlife or how does that look for you? Um,
9: so I have, I have thought about death a lot before, never in this context, but I had heart surgery when I was a baby and so like, throughout my life there's always been like this this idea in the back of my head like man i'm so lucky to be alive but at any moment something could happen and so i've always thought about it but recently i've been more okay with the idea that life isn't permanent and that um my body is gonna die my memory is eventually going to die and that's okay um whereas before I had this idea that like, in order for my death to be okay, I'd want to be immortalized in some way. And that's part of why I started writing music was because that would last for a pretty long time. Um, but more and more it's it's I've come across this idea of like the universe being composed of this energy, and all the soul is is like that energy focused into one place. And so when you die, this energy kind of disperses back into the universe. And um, I think that's just that's a beautiful thing and it's not really scary at all to me, um, like the idea of death kind of used to be. And I, I don't gotcha. think that really conflicts with my you know Catholic foundation because um, in Catholicism they just call that energy God and you know that it all makes sense and when you think of it like that, to me at least,
3: Haley Todd talks about how she celebrates holidays with her family, even though her worldview differs from theirs.
6: I still practice them. I mean, we still do Christmas, you know, the whole shebang giving of gifts. I think of it more of a time just, like, this is when we sit down and we think about others and we show them that we appreciate them, Mm -hmm. whether it be through a nicely written note or an Xbox. (laughs) (laughs) And so I do kind of try to sit down and think about that aspect. I love, I do love, like, the the Advent tradition that Christians have Mm -hmm. where they just, like, reflect like i i love that like it adds meaning to christmas other than okay what is this monetary possession that i'm going to receive from my family and so i do enjoy that aspect um other than that i mean i i celebrate i celebrate kind of the other uh i mean i'm going home for easter and if my parents want to watch um the streaming of the service i will sit down and watch <laughs> it with them but um I try to use these holidays as a time to like, reflect about the people that I'm with, which is mostly my family, instead of like practicing the Christian ideas.
3: Bella Venegas talks about how her faith and family background intersect uh, around a very popular and widely celebrated festival.
10: So one big thing that we do is Dia de los Muertos and you know you see like the movie like Coco and everything like that and honestly they portray that so perfectly like that's really how it is I mean it's just big it's loud it's fun it's colorful it's the food it's just a day it's not a day of sadness it's a day of happiness and celebration so i feel like there's sometimes confusion with the this day specifically because a lot of times people don't think that they are not celebrating Dio de los muertos just because it is a really big thing when it comes to hispanic culture like people instead of having funerals they have celebration of life and that's just basically the whole main point that we bring light to when it comes to Dia de los Muertos like we just want it to to show that we we thank God for these people that we had in our lives and we thank God that they are now with them or with him at peace in heaven and um we just have this day to remember and we so that you know like they're quote unquote never forgotten which of course they never will be but We just feel that it's an important thing in our culture to make that a point and give it a certain day to just, you know, kind of sit down, stop with how busy everyone lives, everyone's lives are to just kind of sit down and be like, um, you know, we're, we're thankful, we're happy, we miss you, but we know you're in a better place now and we know that you're with God and we're thankful for God and we are. Uh, we owe everything to him and we just are, you know, it's just a good day to, to sit down and to remember.
3: Kelby Rose talks about the philosophical underpinnings of his theories and beliefs on the origins of God and creation.
11: Spinoza's theory on God. I guess the uh, the, the too-long-did-not-read version of it is that Uh, God can be described as one, um, like, core element. Basically, you you tear everything down to its most fundamental form, and what's left is more or less creation itself, that God is not a thinking being, God is not a feeling being, God is just a little bit of everything. It's the core element. So uh, putting it in a more... I guess, uh, contemporary form would be, it's a mix of, um, you know, Catholicism's Holy Spirit and like an all connecting love of human to human, Uh, the Tao of Eastern philosophy, as like an eternal being, um, and the force from Star Wars, as an entity that connects all aspects of, of creation. Um, That may not be how it is at all. I'm perfectly uh, willing to accept um, the possibility that God doesn't exist in any form whatsoever. Um, You know, one of the common arguments for there being a God is that, what is it, the theory of motion that you can't have something coming from nothing so there had to be a point of creation, but even that is subject to its own hypocrisy as the point of creation by that theory, could not be without a point of creation. So I think the possibility that there is a God is just as ridiculous as the possibility that there isn't. I don't think either make any sense at all. So both to me are just as likely.
3: Deja Robinson talks about how her faith helped her cope with the loss of a loved one.
1: A time i knew i needed faith hmm. i think of the time i lost when i lost my grandparents specifically my granny was the first person that i was close to and grew up around and she had passed away at that time i had been what i call a disciple christian for about a year or so um and i got that call about her passing and i couldn't breathe I did not know what to do, I literally had to walk home that day with all the emotions that I was feeling and as soon as I got home all I could do was literally pick up the Bible and read. And I read the same scripture over and over and over. <laughs> it was a scripture in Psalms um, and it really just reflected on how God doesn't give up on us. He really set the portion and times for us, how he won't abandon us. And it was actually a scripture I shared with my granny a few months before she passed. And I definitely feel like reading that over and over reassured me that God was going to be there, that this was going to be a tough experience, but he had not abandoned me, um, and that he would continue to take care of me through my grief. And um, it definitely built my faith to remember who he was and who I am and who I belong to. Thank you.
3: Leanne McKiernan talks about how she finds God and peace in nature.
12: I think definitely one of them was my church, just because it's located a lot around, like, nature, and there's just a lot of windows opening, so it's just really peaceful. But, like, when I can't get there, a lot of the time was, honestly, in my room. I have a little corner cut out, and behind there's, like, a little bookcase and lights that I set up, and it's just a really nice—and I can look out the window, too, when I'm, like, wanting that sunshine just to kind of be at peace and just to relax and calm down for once from the world and kind of take away my worries.
0: Yeah. Is there, like, a certain connection
13: with, like, nature and sunlight to, like— that helps you feel at peace? Or is that like connected to your faith somehow or is it just peaceful to you?
12: I think it's just peaceful to me. Um, Growing up, we had like family reunions and like a lot of times during those reunions, we would like take hikes and like go on picnics. And I think that's just something that's like stuck with me where it's just, it just feels like nostalgic to be out there and to appreciate just what like the Lord has brought you, but also just appreciate like what I have. And what's there?
3: Maddie Horton shares her approach to prayer as a conversation with God.
13: One of my priests growing up told me this great advice. That I asked him, I was like, I don't know how to pray. Like I memorize all these prayers, but I like, how am I supposed to let God know something beyond the Our Father that I like need something or that I just kind of want to chat with Him? And so he said, think about it like you're talking to a friend. So it doesn't have to be this formal, elaborate thing. Like, um, some people are a lot more stricter when it comes to prayer where they will genuflect and they will hold their prayer hands. But honestly, I'm more just like, sup God, Um, here's the formal one of what happened in my life. and it's not just, I'm not just praying to ask for things. It's like, thank, I always thank him for two things that happened in my day. And then maybe I'll be like, and I'm just hoping I'll do wellness tests tomorrow. But thank you for giving me the teachers that teach me the material. And thank you for get, for placing me in a university that cares about my success. But also, can I do wellness tests tomorrow? So it's not, <laughs> not a genie. He's not just going to magically grant your wishes um but like to think about it um as a conversation like god made us in his own image so i try to imagine like a guy around my age or a little older and be like hey you're like a mentor so like it makes it takes away the like scary formalities that some people are like he's this all-knowing being and how am i supposed to communicate with someone that already knows everything it's like well if you think about it that way that'd be very intimidating <laughs> At least for me personally. And so I think about it as more a conversation, like an update on my life, like kind of how you update your roommates or your friends. Um, It doesn't have to be super formal.
3: Olivia Atkinson talks about how her approach to the way she lives out her faith has evolved over her life.
5: You talked about, like, how your um, worldview changed a little bit. Uh, Does the way that you practice your faith and spirituality, like, change with that as well? Like, has that changed at all?
0: I think I used to be a lot more, like, scared of, like, not following the rules and, like, eternal damnation, you know. Not that I'm not – I mean, that's still a threat. Like, I still – Catholic guilt. Yeah, yeah, Catholic guilt. I think the Catholic guilt was real. And that's, like, something that I think I'm working through is, like, how to still try to keep the spirit of the faith, but not necessarily focusing on the rules as much. So, like, I used to go to Mass every weekend, and, like, if I didn't, I would feel really, really bad about it. But now I'm, like, working through, like – I feel like just sitting in the pew is not as helpful or as beneficial in the grand scheme of things when you could be, like, being more intentional about your reflection on, like, your own faith and how you treat other people. I feel like in the end, that's more important than, like, whether you showed up or not on Sunday. So really just, like, not trying to look at the rules of the faith. And just trying to be more intentional with like my interactions with other people on a regular basis and my impact, you know. So it's become less about like structure and more about just how I live my it's more like a way of life, I think, for me.
3: Did you catch it? The example of agape love in action? What resonated with you in the stories shared today? Where did you hear agape love present? What would our world look like if in every interaction we had, we allowed agape love to lead us? Where might we be more present to those moments in our everyday? If only we paused to notice. How will you show someone agape love today? On behalf of the leadership in the Office of Campus Ministry, Miss Laura Klein, Father John Poyatu Parambul, and Father George Munjanatu. I would like to thank everyone who has participated in the Agape Project this academic year. Uh, especially those who have participated in Agape Chats with Peer Ministers, the Peer Ministers who have just so diligently collected these stories, and to you, our listeners, for taking the time out of your day to listen to the amazing stories of our campus community. If you would like to learn more about the Agape Project or schedule an Agape Chat when we return in the fall, please log on to bit.ly forward slash the Agape Project. If you have any questions about the Agape Project or about campus ministry at Bellarmine in general, please feel free to reach out to us at campusministry at bellarmine.edu. Again, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you again in August.